Welcome to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming live to CHD TV. We are so glad you are here. I am Bernadette Pager and joining me today is Dr. Javier Figueroa as my co-host. Hello, Javier. We haven't Hello, seen you in a couple Bernadette. weeks. We've missed you. Thank you. Missed you guys too. Yeah. How, how's life been for you? Busy. Yeah. To say the least, just yeah. very, very busy. But uh, fortunately, it's, uh, you know, life is moving along and uh, it's been more lemonade than lemons. Oh, that's that's good. And, you know, I'm one of those people that probably really annoy others because I tend to be a hopeless optimist. And somebody just wants to be in a bad mood and I'm I'm trying to make lemonade out of their lemons. And it's there like, you, you know, but I can't help it. That's just who I am. And and, you know, really today it's a little bit about making lemonade out of lemons. Um uh, the, the theme of the show today, Javier, is really the courage to change course. Um, you know, we, we've got a couple of guests that in different ways really are living this, this theme. Um, before we begin, I would do want to say that the views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of KKNW or Children's Health Defense. Um, and I also want to say thank you to both of those organizations for this free speech platform that we can come here and talk and have civil discussions and prevent present information and really try to figure things out. This is one of the most important things, isn't it, Javier, in a free society yes. is, is open, respectful dialogue. And I'm so grateful that we do have that ability to do this here. Um, Again, and um, I don't always remember to say this every week, but it's always true. We are not doctors and we are not lawyers and anything we give is not medical or legal advice. So we're going to veer probably a little bit and talk on some topics of medicine and, and potentially the law. So just keep in mind, it's just us wrangling with information and we give it to you all, our listeners and viewers, so that you can go out there and really continue exploring so you can make the best decisions you can for yourselves, for your families, and for your communities when you go out and interact in the world. Um, so um I guess, I guess what we'll just do now, Javier, is we're going to go ahead and bring on our first guest. Her name is Robbie Rose. Welcome, Robbie, to An Informed Life Radio. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Let me tell everybody a little bit about you. So Robbie Rose is a writer, an attorney, and a former genetic researcher. She has fought for Colorado parents to retain the right to make medical decisions for their children without government interference since 2013. And in 2021, she led her county to victory against the Board of Health's quasi-COVID vaccine passport system. Well done. Congratulations on that. Her writing has been published on Scary Mommy and in Pathways to Family Wellness magazine. She's a regular guest on Michael uh, Gaeta's Mondays with Michael. We've had Michael on as a guest here many times. We love him and has numerous appearances on Whose Body Is It? as well as Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast. 
So you're a busy lady there, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> we so appreciate you being here. And, he, and um, you've been doing some writing recently and on a subject that you've been researching for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's a sensitive subject. And this is where I believe the courage to, to change course really comes in with the theme of this show, Robbie, because we're going to touch on uh we're going to we're going to delve into the causes of school shootings right mm -hmm. the media likes to focus on the symptoms somebody mm -hmm. choosing a weapon and going out and doing harm to themselves and others we're going to try to focus on all of the signals all of the evidence all of the data showing some of the driving causes. Mm -hmm. We're going to try to do this as respectfully as we can mm -hmm. because this of course um is a subject that that really impacts so many people's lives because our children are being inundated these days with all sorts of messaging. And um, and we do understand that journey. And so the other thing I want to say is, um, as somebody in the movement for a very long time, I know you, Robbie, and, and me, and Javier, you're a little bit newer to, to the whole concept perhaps of the normalizing of environmental injury. Mm -hmm. We know in our movement with vaccine injury that it's a very clever, devious, evil thing that is done where they normalize symptoms. Mm -hmm. Asthma is normalized. Ticks are normalized. Seizures are normalized. Eczema is normalized. Learning disorders, neurological disorders, um, all sorts of disorders, as well as is the big controversial autism, um, ADD, ADHD, that's all normalized. And we are led to believe that to attempt to cure these things and prevent them from happening in the first place, that we somehow diminish the individual suffering from them, which is absurd. How do you love and respect the individuals, especially the children inflicted with environmental harm, if you're not allowed to discuss the causes of those harm, right? And so we're delving in that today um, in the realm of um, school shootings and mass shootings and, and individuals who carry out atrocities um, that they normally wouldn't do if they had been in a good emotional, neurological, mental state of health. Right. And and even those who are suffering issues, there are factors that push people over the edge. And those factors are today. So I'm going to let you kind of um, kind of jump in here, Robbie, and maybe talk a little bit about the beginnings of your research and how you got into this yourself. I started researching it several years ago. I want to say it was maybe a 2017 shooting that got me looking into it. And that's when I realized that Prozac was approved for use in 1988. And prior to 1988, there were only three school shootings that I could find. One was at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, one was a, a rare female shooter. Um, so, there, you know, there's just these three prior to 1988. And then Prozac was approved. Now, I'm not saying that every shooter was on Prozac because we don't have that data. But the way the school shootings, it was like 88, 88, 88, 89, 89, 89, 90, 91, 92, 92. 90, it just, I mean, 
the curve for it has to be completely vertical after Prozac's approval. And I, I don't think people were collecting the data necessarily back then about um, what meds school shooters were on. And I'm not talking about even all mass shootings because I didn't look into that, but you know, specifically with school shootings. So that's when I started realizing that there is a certain subset of individual who is prescribed these antidepressants or, you know, some other type of antipsychotic. And although some people may benefit, some people may feel that they benefit and maybe, maybe there is, you know, a mind body connection placebo effect there. We don't know. I'm not going to say nobody benefits because I know a lot of people who say that their lives have been saved by these drugs. There is a certain constitution that is, it, it cannot endure these drugs at all. And mm -hmm. so, you know, years ago, it got me looking into it. And even if it's less than 1%, which it's not, it's much higher than that, right? It's like 3% or something. But even if it's less than 1% or around 1%, that's a lot of people who are completely unfit to be prescribed these drugs. Yeah. And so that was the beginning of my research. And so you've got a, these like anxious um irritable males walking around. And at that time in 2017, it was still males and they're on these drugs that are inappropriate for them. Right. And they're agitated and, and they're having these terrible side effects and no one is really overseeing this. You know, maybe they got yeah. it from a psychiatrist they saw once or a family medical doctor who's never checking on them. Right. And, and I want to bring up a couple places for people to explore some of the history. And that might be something that you touch on, too, as we move forward. But um, this Thursday's episode of The High Wire in the Jackson Report, he brings up some very alarming, like clinical trial data that was hidden um, by the pharmaceutical companies when these products came out, that the clinical trials were showing that it was leading to an alarming number of um of the people on them having suicidal and homicidal ideation. They knew that and they've known this all along. Um, I want to get out there right now very uh, quickly that please, 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 if you yourself or you know anybody else who is currently taking any of the drugs that we mentioned, do not go off of them on your own. Go seek, go to your doctor, go to a professional because some of the most dangerous times of being on these drugs is when you first start them and when you go off of them. That is what I've been hearing. And I just want to make sure that this conversation that we intend to help open the dialogue and to get healing and to prevent harm in the future doesn't trigger some kind of harm now. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I'm going to probably repeat that as we move forward. And so, and then also, if you go to Jeffrey Jackson, it's J-A-X-E-N, his Substack, um, you're going to find um, uh, one of his posts called The Serotonin Depression Myth and Facing the Culture That Promoted It. So that is another excellent resource to go actually read the data and find out about how these products were brought to market, the mass push to sell them. I mean, we're talking almost 2,000 um, sales reps for each pharmaceutical company bringing the drug forward around the country, pushing their uptake. And the fact that there really was no science even saying that they worked for what they the intent was. So, mm -hmm. um, okay. So you were witnessing this, though, that this connection mm -hmm. um, between 
And and why were you, what was your reasoning for believing that these um, individuals who did the shootings, that they were on drugs? Was Were there newspaper reports or something bringing that forward? Because even when you looked at the three shootings that preceded Prozac's approval, they mm-hmm. were on um, like ADD meds or meth or um, cocaine. Like they they were, you know, they were on some, there's no, there's no sober person that picks up a gun and walks into a school or shoots it from across the street. So even the three that predated Prozac's approval, they were heavy drug users. Okay. And so in my research, there's there's no school shooting epidemic that exists outside of psychotropic drugs being prescribed to teenagers and okay. you know and, and, and young adults. And so it just got me thinking about the connection because we know as advocates who have been in this movement, you know, I've I've been in it for 13 years. I'm sure you've been in it for if not longer than that. We know there are so many conditions that go hand in hand with vaccination. And I know it sounds like blame and and bad parenting. And you're just looking for something to, to blame it on because of your bad genes, you know, and we don't have bad genes. None of us have bad genes. And so you're looking at the emotional disturbances or um, ADHD or anxiety disorders. Mm-hmm. And you know, in your own family, where if you know, I have one anaphylactic kid who can't be within a foot of peanuts, and then I've got another who doesn't even have seasonal allergies, like guess which one's 100% not vaccinated, right? We know in our own families, that vaccines have an impact on some kids. And then when you don't vaccinate a child that is sharing DNA, that you don't have that condition, right? And so I understand the other side says, you know, gosh, they just want to blame everything on vaccines. Well, guess what? Because injecting mercury and aluminum and polysorbate 80 is unbelievably unhealthy. And this yeah. is not our first rodeo. My goodness. I right. Mean, we've been doing this to the human race since like the 1600s. Right. And have you, you know what? Have you yeah. read Mark Blaxel's book? Um, the Age of Autism. Is that one of the older titles that's gone back? No, no. Is this a new one? 2010. 2010. Okay. It is an older one. It starts with the medicinal use of mercury and the number of conditions that sprung up from that. But even if they spring up in a number of like one in 500 babies using mercury-based teething powder, and you know, and, and it was not such a flat world. It wasn't so connected at the time. Like it took until 1940 something for some doctors in a journal to say, it's the teething powder, guys. Quit giving mercury to babies. This is not, and even then the medical establishment is pushing back and they're angry. You're saying the best medicine we've got is doing this, you know, and they don't want to hear it. And this no. is on for 400 years. And these yes. decisions, they rise up and they right. finally realize like, oh, we're treating syphilis with mercury. And when they start treating it with penicillin instead, then this like crazy insanity and paralysis that people were suffering from disappears. From right. It was the medicine. Yeah. It's not our first rodeo. It presents in different ways, even with yeah. the same dose and the same, because people are different and right. greeting it is different. And so, um, yes, there is a host of medical conditions. I'm certain connected to injecting mercury with an annual flu shot and in pregnancy and your yeah. mega doses of aluminum that you get at two, four, six months and, and forward. 
Right. And then we add in um, some of the other environmental factors. Like there was a show earlier on CHD uh, TV. It was the Good Morning episode. And they brought on, um, oh, I know his name. I've talked to him before, but I've, I've gone blank. Anyway, the expert on acetaminophen, Tylenol. And the connection to um, Tylenol, this has become mainstream news, the connection between acetaminophen and yeah. autism oh, it's and a how lawsuit now. Yeah. Yeah. Causing oxidative stress, depleting glutathione. And the blood you, brain barrier. Right. You mix you mix Tylenol and what it's able to do mm-hmm. with vaccines and how many doctors say, I mean, I'm not sure if they're still doing it for for a while on the AAP website. The pediatricians were saying before you bring your child Mm -hmm. in to get a vaccine, give them a dose of Tylenol to help them feel better. You know, so it's already circulating. I mean, the very worst thing that you could do or give it to them immediately after. I don't know. Is it also acting as a carrier the way polysorbate 80 not only opens up the blood brain barrier, but can act as a carrier for these other, right. you know, there's drugs that are used to treat brain conditions and they know, well, you got to use some polysorbate aid if you want it to get up in there. Yeah. And here right. are, carrying with it viruses, bacteria. Right. Well, yeah. And it was William Parker is, is the, um, the scientist name who um, has for years been bringing all this to light in the most recent studies they're they're just mind blowing um, what they do. So everybody, uh, check out that information. Watch that episode. We'll have to do a whole two yeah. hours, I think, on acetaminophen. The whole the whole reason I got into this is because I sat there and I said, "What's the root cause? Let's yeah. start peeling back these layers, right? Because we know that these kids are on the drugs, but we know that these kids have these conditions, but these other kids don't have these conditions. So why do these kids have right? Peeling back all the layers, and you get again down to the national vaccination program. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. It's, and that's where we're going to go today, but in okay. an expected way. Yeah. Right. Okay. Oh, and one other thing, and I'm going to let Javier get a word in edgewise. I, so Robbie, I'm going to tell you that um, I tend to just blab and I just got to make sure if you ever need to cut in and Javier, I'm trying to teach. He's so polite. Oh. Cut in there, Javier. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's, there's a new study out showing that, um, the COVID shots interfere with the gut biome and destroy. Um, Javier, are you remembering that? Could you remember any detail of that study or nodding like that? Uh, no, I mean, I heard about it, but okay. uh, yeah, it's again, the mRNA shots, what they're finding out is that there's, there, there seems to be quite a variety of different responses. The gut microbiome is one of them. Yeah. The other is uh, neurological induced, again, by the gut microbiome, but also yeah. alteration in the immune system. Again, through the gut microbiome. So there's yeah. all these things that stem from that. Yeah, exactly. And and one more thing, and then I want to get back to, to Robbie's journey here is um, what, when year was it 2016 or so when scientists discovered that the lymphatic system is directly tied to the brain. And before that time, they didn't believe anything circulating lymphatic system crossed the blood brain barrier. And it turned out there were actually physical pathways. And there was huge headline news that said, we're going to have to rewrite all of the medical textbooks because we have to rethink everything. And they realized that so many issues um, that they thought were purely like neurological were actually also um, 
immunological, part of immune mediated, that connection couldn't be separated. And what does a vaccine do? Well, it stimulates your immune system. It's your whole lymphatic system gets called into play, mm -hmm. right? And so, I mean, the monkeying around that humans have done, you know, out of sheer arrogance thinking, oh, we can do this. And just, they observe what happens, but they don't biologically observe deeply, right? I mean, don't get me started on epidemiological studies, which you can make prove anything. You can, you can show that honeymoons do not make babies, I'll say politely. Um, all you have to do is eliminate all the pregnant women from the study and you, boom, you've got it. So, um, <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, so yes. So you were making these ob observations, mm -hmm. um, and then what? And then, well, if we just fast forward, you know, up to last month, and so here is this horrific shooting in a Nashville area school. And when the news came out and said that it was a female shooter, I just, I just knew instantly. I knew instantly that there's a few things that are going to come to light over the next hours or the next days. And one is that this girl is going to have a diagnosis on the autism spectrum. And two, she's going to feel that she is transgender. And three, she's going to be heavily medicated. Okay. Like that is the recipe of what it is going forward. And a lot of these girls are not even going to have an official diagnosis. And we'll get into why that is, but they are all going to be um, on the spectrum. And I'm not even a fan of this spectrum language at all, because my life was so immersed in the autism world. I don't have a child with autism by the grace of God. Um, I certainly would have, I believe, had I continued on. But in the allergy mom world, I wasn't really welcome because the allergy moms uh, very much want to believe that their child's condition is genetic. And so, you know, here I am getting into groups on Baby Center trying to say, no, it's vaccines. It's what you did. And so it's not very welcome there because they're like, want to say, well, dad has allergies. Therefore, I'm like, no, the, the gene is for susceptibility. It's not an allergy gene. Um, so I got kicked out of a lot of places. I got kicked out of a lot of Facebook groups. And then I fell in with the Thinking Moms Revolution. And they were like, come mm -hmm. over and sit by us. Yeah. And so my life was immersed in like the classic autism world. And that preceded the DSM-5 taking what we called Asperger syndrome and putting it under the umbrella. Those are two very different brain yes. injuries. And they share a couple of characteristics like anxiety, eye contact, and maybe stimming and unusual bodily movements. And for that reason, all the way back to the 1930s, these kids have been grouped together when in fact, there's very little in common other than the fact that they're both suffering from from brain injuries. So when I say autism, I am in this context, 100% referring to what we would have called Asperger syndrome, not, you know, a classic or or what they now call like high functioning, high functioning. autism. Right. And and here's here's where I want to be um, very careful to acknowledge that when we are having discussions such a, as this, it's with it's with love for the children, love for the individuals at who they are and this intent to help every individual be their best self and not be undermined mm -hmm. pre-birth, at birth, moving through their childhood with environmental assaults mm -hmm. that are undermining um, who they really could be, right? Stealing their destiny from yeah. them. Right. And, and also and, make clear mm -hmm. it is not 
it is not a child on the spectrum who is the issue. And it is not no. a child suffering from gender dysphoria who is the issue. 100% of the time, it's going to be the kid who is on the anxiety meds, the ADHD meds, the um, antidepressants, and maybe a mood stabilizer. One, yeah. like no matter what the condition is, and no matter whether those drugs are appropriate to even prescribe, you know, there's no there's no appropriate prescription for autism anywhere in the world. And yet, fifteen percent of kids that have a high functioning diagnosis are on one drug or another, if not three or four. So this is happening, and so we should be able to talk about it happening. But right. in no way am I saying that this. This is someone's destiny or you know this is the road that they're on no right these parents have to stand in the way and block the road and say under no circumstances right. am i putting my child on these drugs it is the drugs doing this any child whether they they have this condition or not any child on these drugs is at serious risk of yes something happening a hundred percent in agreement and not just and not just children Again, yes. uh, there's a there's a really dirty little secret in the, the United States Armed Forces that a good majority of people that are in the armed forces are taking SSRIs, are taking other forms of antidepressants. They're all being given to it for treating PTSD and TBI. And those, the incidence of violent behavior and mm -hmm. suicide. The suicide is between huge. 17 and 23 a day with veterans. Yeah. And again, it's because they are prescribing Yes. Incorrectly, drugs that are making the condition even worse because they're just, it's symptom management. And that's all yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, Javier, with your um, education and experience in neurobiology, um, what insights do you have for us regarding, I mean, have you studied some of these drugs or I know that, I mean, yeah. um, Robbie, he's huge on, he used to sit on the International Hyperbaric Board. So mm -hmm. real brain healing through oxygen, yeah. right? Um, what are your thoughts on, on these drugs? The, the evidence. So what, what's interesting is that there's a lot, the, the person that came up with the uh, diagnosis of ADHD really came out years later before his death saying that, yeah, there's, there's really no supportable scientific evidence for it. It was something that they, they came up with, uh, as a way to just try and explain and manage what they were seeing in terms of behavior. Uh, and again, what the, what's really troubling is that we know you know, my, my background is in neurobiology. Most neurobiologists know that the most um, um, really acute moments of really shaping a person's uh, behavior and personality, you know, happens around age two to about age 18. And you're giving drugs that affect the central nervous system directly. And serotonin receptors are nothing to laugh about. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're giving drugs that are actually increasing the amount of serotonin um, really will mess up with development and people there's been no long-term studies looking at it people, people the have part. the impression that serotonin is the happy hormone <laughs> you feel awful when you have too much serotonin like what do you think like sudden attack diarrhea is caused by right that's serotonin in the gut <laughs> oh it's no that's exactly it yeah wow so um yeah, and and in that Jeffrey Jackson's article, he writes about the serotonin and the myth that it's connected with anxiety and depression. Um, that there's no solid science to even prove right. that. So yeah, and then so one other point, like children who are given these labels, and medicine, Western medicine loves to give a label, a diagnosis, mm -hmm. um, and call something a disease to a symptom, 
And then all they have to do is treat and medicate the symptom, but they're not going to the root cause. Right. And when you let, let's take a child who is suffering from some sort of environmental injury, whether it be the vaccines or the, the Tylenol glyphosate, or for most kids, it's a combination of all, mm-hmm. you know, and what does the doctor do? Well, a lot of times the kids, besides having some learning issues, social issues, they've got gut issues. And they're constipated. So what do they put on? They're put on that, um, what's that awful? Miralax. Miralax, right? And and other things that like, okay, so now their gut biome is being completely messed up. And we now know that that's where a real connection is between mood um, and, um, and behavior is all in that gut biome. A healthy gut biome helps you be stable. I mean, right. It's filtered into shells of human beings. Like the bare have the bare minimum biological function to even be alive. Right. And, and then they will medicate the symptom that the first drug gave them. And then the symptom of the second drug. And then they, so these children on our host of drugs that were never tested in children. And most of their labels say never don't take longer than five days. And they've been on it for five years yeah, or 15 years. Uh, yeah. Do you want to, you want to move back over to. Yes. Computers? So, so when I, when I heard about the most recent, right. Audrey Hale in Nashville. Yes. I saw a lot of media talking about, was this the first female school shooter? Because people thought it was. And it's very surprising to me that they got away with that because very near where I live in Colorado was a female school shooter in 2019. And the media dropped that story like a hot potato. It was two teenagers. It was a boy with fuchsia hair. It was like mostly pink, purple. And then another piece of it was black. And as soon as his arraignment photo was released, from the court, then that was it. They dropped the story because he, you know, he might've been gay. I don't know. And then it turns out that this, we were told it was two males in the beginning. And then it turns out that it was not two males, that the other shooter was a female and she was suffering from gender dysphoria and she was using um, male pronouns. And she ultimately said that she wanted to target a few people at the school because she wanted them to suffer trauma the way she had had to suffer trauma. You know, and both of these kids are, are both living today. You know, they're both in prison probably for the rest of their lives. And we knew at the time that she was a cocaine user and a Xanax user, right? And Xanax can cause depersonalization where you might have thoughts and you're just like, well, those aren't my thoughts, right? That's what depersonalization is. And so you've mm. got a dysphoric kid who's already feeling very disconnected from themselves, from their bodies, from their identities. And then they're taking a drug that causes derealization de- where their feelings don't see, or, or their reality doesn't seem real and depersonalization where their thoughts don't seem like they're coming from their own head. It was a long time later. It was, so that shooting was in May of 2019. It was November And no media covered this at all. But a nurse testified in the sentencing hearing that um, this other shooter, her name was Alec McKinney, that the nurse, her own nurse, um, testified that he personally had prescribed ADHD medication to take along with the antidepressants and the mood stabilizers that she was already on. Wow. No, and, and and for me, right, this story was huge. I mean, we have probably a mutual friend in the movement whose kid was in that school. So Ooh. like I'm not forgetting any of this. Yeah. And yet 
most of America thought that Audrey Hale was the first female school shooter. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, this is the way it's going to be. And so, in fact, Alec McKinney had a high functioning autism diagnosis and was inappropriately prescribed all of these drugs that do not address um, any of her symptoms. Yeah. I mean, she's on a she's on a toxic cocktail. Yeah. And and it does seem as if the um, individuals who are diagnosed with autism because of behavior and they've got, usually have some sort of biological issue we're talking about with with constipation or or some other issue that they're being drugged for all of these things destroying their biome all the side effects listed in all of these drugs they're on lead them to the point of depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and, and inability to focus. Not just the antidepressants, right? No. Adderall causes them to become completely disconnected from the fact that other people even have feelings. And now, and and I don't know, I don't know Audrey Hill's situation. And I know for Alec McKinney, she was not on testosterone because that was something that she was angry about. But now in the years since this 2019 shooting happened, you've got children who have access to testosterone without parental knowledge or consent. And that causes a lot of aggression. And so we're going to be seeing even more of this because on top of the ADHD and anxiety and depression and mood stabilizers, now we're adding testosterone. And it's such a horrible thing to do to our children. I just, I can't imagine living there. I mean, those who, I mean, you know, because it's 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 the children who we're doing it to, and then the things that we're causing to happen because of this. And what do we do about this? How do we raise awareness? How do we? I mean, the pharmaceutical industry has just got this so sewed up, and people so convinced. You and know you know, what, though, the research is out there. The research has been out there, as you know, even for decades. Yeah, there's a certain subset of kids that have bipolar or they go on very quickly to develop the symptoms of bipolar. And those are the ones that go into a state called hypomania, which is, Mm. it's like a level below manic, right? Like you would be able to recognize someone who's having a manic episode. It's not to that degree. It is something less than that. And it tends to be in this period of hypomania with kids with bipolar symptoms who have no business being on these drugs because they're completely wrong for their composition. That's when the violence happens, the homicides and especially the suicides happen mm-hmm. is in a it's like a 3 day phase of hypomania and they know it that wow. research has been out there for a long time okay so i guess we as citizens as individuals have got to figure out ways to get the information out there to those who need it so that we can we need to prevent the doctors from so readily just dispersing yeah. this stuff like candy. But, but but Bernadette, now we're at this phase where we have these girls who are high functioning autism, you know, slash Asperger's who are being given these drugs right out of the gate. And that these are the same girls now who are identifying as suffering from gender dysphoria, right? All this time we've been told how prevalent autism is in boys and it's not in girls. Guess what? Girls pass so easily with mainstream society because a girl with Asperger's syndrome 
doesn't have the social skills of a typical girl, but she has the social skills of a typical boy. And so when you look at the realm of normal behavior, she fits in, but she doesn't really fit in the girls. But the thing is, is she's susceptible to mimicry. And that is a major symptom of a girl with high functioning, functioning, functioning autism. And that's why she slips through those cracks and people don't know mm-hmm. to look out for her and to treat her carefully is because she's mimicking the social behavior of the girls around her. Now, I'm sure you've heard that in some girls that there's clusters of girls who are suddenly gender dysphoric, right? At age 14, 15, they're going into these clinics in quick succession, one after another, and they're from the same social circle. This is the mimicry element again. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same mimicry as passing as being a typical child is the same mimicry that like, well, you're, you're, you're um, transgender. I'm transgender too. And I'm transgender too. And let's all go to the clinic together. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, where is our, where is our safety net where is our for these girls? Net? Like they yeah. need to be taken away from Tumblr and from all social media. They need to be kept away from pediatricians. They need to be taken away from these school counselors, predatory doctors, predatory nurses, the counselors, you know, we have to, we have to come up with a plan to say, okay, when a child expresses that this is their experience, then we're going to circle the wagons and we're going to take care of them. And we're going to get them through this because it's mm-hmm. going to be, it's going to be transitory. It's going to be temporary. Mm-hmm. God, they need, they need love and support for a few years to get through it. And like, they deserve so much better than what we're giving them. I mean, sorry, I know you're wanting to say something. I want to say something really quick. Cause I just heard something so profound today in an interview on whose body is it anyway, is a woman who felt she was trans and she had, um, transitioned and then you know she's back and she's a woman and she knows she's a woman and she feels very preyed upon and she said these are the kids who are self-harming right these are the kids who are cutting themselves these are the kids who are committing suicide she said transition is a soft suicide it's these kids who want to die and they don't have you know the courage of course it's not a courageous act to do it and so you will transition over, you will mutilate yourself, and you will have a dead name to use. It is a soft suicide. If you're dealing with kids who are slashing themselves and who are suicidal, like why are we sanctioning another form of self-harm and calling it their treatment? Wow. Yeah, that is no, that's so a powerful. very good point. And so, you know, you trained as a, as a lawyer, Um do you think that what's been going on with all the the push towards um, getting teachers and schools on board with uh, all this um, uh, basically uh, gender dysphoria training to try and you know shuffle kids over to to taking these drugs and going in through the surgeries is it a form of a liability protection for some of the pharmaceuticals? Is it a form of? I mean, it just it oh. it, it seems like it's a big buy-in, right? Yeah, exactly. If you can get. If you can get all of the surgeons and all of the pediatricians and and the AAP, by the way, is run by a gay man activist. People don't know this. They think that the American Academy of Pediatrics is run by a doctor. He is not a doctor. He is a San Francisco um, longtime gay rights activist who is very much in favor of transitioning small children. And now he's got himself a job at the AAP and nobody's talking about it. So that's why the AAP is so successfully getting all of these pediatricians on board is because there's this activist at the very top who's giving the marching orders. And then you, you know, you get the teachers in, right. Um, I do think it is spreading out the liability for sure. 
I don't think this is an accident what's happening right now. And then of course, like the final is getting all of society to buy in because then we'll have a month where, you know, just like April, we're lighting it up blue and celebrating our differences. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I was typing something and I my my brain shifted. I apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that that is so true because now it's so normalized that uh, you know most people most people are called bigots and transphobes if they actually say something. Well, maybe it's yeah. maybe it's the medication we're giving yeah. people. Maybe it's the decades of uh, vaccines that cause you know all these. Uh, neurological conditions. The the overlap between high functioning autism and um, gender dysphoria is undeniable. It is, yep. you have at least a double chance of identifying as being trans. Um, I'm sorry, you have a double chance of being autistic if you are already in that group that identifies as being trans, you know, like a hundred percent increase in the odds that this person has um, a diagnosis. And I'll tell you, it's way higher than that because of these girls that don't have a diagnosis because they've just been passing and mimicking for all this time. It is way higher than double. And if we know that autism is a brain injury, whether it's classic autism or whether it's Asperger's, because all of this goes back to mercury, 100% of it goes back to the 1931 use of the very um, first true um, diphtheria vaccine that had a mercury fungicide in um, addition to an aluminum adjuvant that has already always been there. Um, this doesn't, Asperger's doesn't exist outside of vaccination. You know, people want to act like, oh, it's so old. It's always been with us. No, literally, it's just, <laughs> it sprang up in the US and in Austria in the 1930s with the use of the original diphtheria vaccine. Yeah. So, oh, but my point is, is if mm -hmm. we know that these are brain injuries and I know that gender, like the, the epidemic of gender dysphoria traces back to the very same 1989 inflection point. I know that it does. And anyone who does the research in this knows that this is the same exact birth cohort as the front line of classic autism. And so if we could just start giving these children the compassion that they deserve, you know, they're not the enemy. They're literally suffering from a brain injury. Right. And that's why we need to come at this, you know, and, and help to change the dialogue because, and, and why the theme of the show, the courage to change course. When you stand up to say that what's happening is not just a genetic difference that they were born to be, have gender dysphoria or born to have um, autism or it's, it's, it's an environmental assault but when you say that, the marketing message of normalization, they begin to label, call you names. Yeah. You and they make you feel afraid that you're going to harm a child. That by right and say we love these kids and but exactly for God, I would be their mother. I yeah. could be in this position. I have all of the compassion in the world. You know. But for me stopping when I stopped, and I only stopped because I got kicked out of the doctor's office, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. It could be me. Yeah. I feel for these parents, but most like, oh gosh, I saw something today that like 52% of these moms suffer from bipolar disorder. I'm sorry, not bipolar, um, borderline personality. 52% of their moms have like, that's a lot. And guess what? That's going to be a brain injury. And then the overlap that one of the reasons that females are missed 
in the autism spectrum is because they get other diagnoses. And one of them is anorexia, right? Anorexia is a brain injury. And mm. uh, something that I talk about with people is like, what about this bodily integrity identity disorder where people identify as a handicapped person and they either want to get their spinal cord severed or they want to chop off a limb? That's a brain injury. And that has been linked very similarly to people who suffer a stroke in a, in a like very distinct part of the brain. And they know this because there's actual amputees who consider you, you've heard of this, continue feeling a limb that is yeah. no longer there, right? That is a brain injury. And so if we have these other identity disorders, whether it is body dysmorphia or if it's bodily integrity identity disorder, right? Those are brain injuries. Why is this being treated as if it's like reality and not a brain injury? Yeah. And it's, it's very alarming and, and yet very effective what they have. And I say they, and so who are they? Well, who's profiting from this? The children are not profiting. You don't see happy, thriving people. I mean, the individuals who are well enough to go out and about and the, the ones who are protesting, I've never seen such anger. Yeah. I mean, they're angry people. I mean, probably their parents are on the spectrum too. And if you just come at it with that compassion and say, right. we're looking at a, a you know lineage in a family who are probably all suffering from Asperger's syndrome, and which means they're all carrying this probably mercury toxic load and they've got injuries in their brain and their genetics are highly susceptible to being hurt by this toxic right. assault that they're under, then you can see it very differently. And, but, and that, it just makes it so hard though to say, how do I approach this? How, how do you approach this? With love. Right. And, and don't feel attacked. And again, I'm going to say again, if anybody is on or knows somebody who is on any of the things we're discussing, um, go find a really good functional medicine doctor, a really good doctor who knows about this and, and do not just stop anything cold turkey. We are not doctors. Um, well, Robbie's a lawyer, but I'm not lawyer that we're not giving you advice. We're just trying to give you some information so that, you know, because the people who profit the pharmaceutical industry, you know, I, I, I get, I know that there's probably good people out there, but the industry itself um, operates like a leech and, you know, or like one of those aliens from an alien movie where they basically want to have you suspended and keep you alive and well enough that you keep needing their medicines, but not so functional that you actually can fight them <laughs> and do something to save yourself. But I mean, the, I mean, the entire history of medicine as we know it today, right? The Rockefeller medicine and the entire history of that, they have been causing serious chronic illness and brain disease. Yes. And then getting very defensive about it and saying, this is the very best medicine we've got and we're lucky to have it and denying their role in killing children, permanently maiming them, yeah. causing, you know, the first waves of autoimmune disease and all that. And, and if you do, if you do read Mark's book, which, you know, I'm just right now, like I'm a hammer and everything's a nail because I'm right in the middle of reading this book and it's, Oh, it's just all making yeah. sense. Um, Okay, I have to bring up one other thing that I just recently learned from a friend of mine who's also a representative, Susan Lynn. She learned this from her granddaughter's experience who is very sensitive to corn syrup. She eats corn syrup a little bit later, just off the wall, just bouncing off the wall, just uncontrollable, you yeah. know, you know, it just gets 
really bad. And so she was doing as much research as she can. So she accidentally eats it. How do you detoxify from this? It led her to this, the studies that showed that much of corn syrup is contaminated with mercury because of how they process it. I did not know now, that. Now, some of the, I need to go down that rabbit hole to see. I'm some of the, Yeah, some of the studies. Yeah, there's two ways to process corn to make corn syrup. And one- We're giving it to babies in formula. Right, so the there's- formula another, is also contaminated with aluminum. <laughs> yeah, so there, you know, you don't, um, you don't, um, absorb as much through ingestion as through injection, as we well know, because they always try to claim. Um, but still, mm -hmm. when you've got a kid who's got a leaky gut, which so many of the kids do, their biomes are screwed up, they got a leaky gut, well, you absorb far more, you know, it becomes much more toxic levels. Mm -hmm. When you're ingesting these, and you've got that leaky gut going on, you're you're going to be getting that. And mm -hmm. Javier, I'm, and I love it when he nods his head, because this man's got a PhD. It's like, okay, he's a great <laughs> When you read Mark's book, it makes me wonder if in the last 10, 15 years, if we have been on yet another vertical upward trajectory of toxic load that has resulted in this newest epidemic, yeah. because it's never the one thing. It's not. No. I mean, we, we, we humans, us idiot humans have used mercury as medicine since Roman times. They would send slaves and convicted criminals to go mine the mercury because they knew it was deadly to be down there. And then they go <laughs> anoint themselves where they, you know, with their sores and stuff, but they were only using it superficially on, on cuts and stuff. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, yeah, I'm sure that killed some people, but it wasn't an epidemic. But then they start adding to it and adding to it and adding to it. And then you're taking it all of these different ways. And then you're in taking it internally. And then they started injecting it and giving it to babies with tooth powder. Right. And then that just climaxes. And I'm wondering, are we on our way to another climax? Like, think back what's new in the last 10 or 15 years. Is it the toxic load of aluminum in the Gardasil vaccine? You know, is it something in the food? Um, I, you know, I don't claim to know what it is but it makes me wonder if we just sort of cruised along for a while and now we're like going up again, but yeah. it's not from something today. It's from something from a decade ago. And it, it does seem to be impacting society in new and different alarming ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, the gender dysphoria itself, you know, the harm, you know, looked, looked one way in the late 1980s and 1990s, this, this whole new way of people being confused about who they even are right? And we go back to these drugs. Well, you know, the number of prescriptions and then through with COVID, they say, I forget the, the number of increase, I think 40% increase in prescriptions for these drugs. It's, it's very, very concerning. Hey, antidepressants went up by 40%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, the, in the midst of the study coming out saying they did nothing, that serotonin is not the cause. Uh, yeah. So, you know, yes. I mean, they're still prescribing statins, even though we know that statins and the, the whole thing and how dangerous they are. And, you know, it, the pro one of the flaws of human beings and the flaws of capitalism, and I believe in capitalism, it's the best system we've figured out so far. But one of the flaws is that once somebody comes up with an invention or a discovery, Everybody jumps on it and then they say, I'm going to make a product based on that. And then within a few years, you've got this whole economic system and all these people profiting highly off a certain belief. But then new science comes along, something comes along. It's like, OK, that's not true anymore. But these people with a vested interest in making money off of that old belief are not letting it go. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, that that's what happens right now. We've got we've got this huge vested financial vested interest in keeping our children on a whole host of drugs for everything they're experiencing. And they really need to get out there and be digging in the dirt and eating real food and breathing fresh air. And I mean, I, I know that it's very difficult that some, you know, people are in situations where it's really frightening and they might need a little extra something temporarily, but this class of drugs in particular, it, it, it seems to me that yeah. the, the, that the, it's all risk and no benefit. But even like, mm-hmm. even going back to the 1930s and the original group of children who were diagnosed with um, autism is, it's so interesting because what the researcher noticed because he saw these children time and time again over the years is how much they improved. They only got those mercury vaccines as infants, how much they improved year after year as they distanced themselves from the source of the toxic exposure, which of course there was no discussion about the vaccines or mercury or anything environmental because the mothers were blamed for it. But people Mm -hmm. need to know, hang in there. Yeah. Yeah. And just uh, to, to interlude, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, who's also a uh, contributor to CHD and has Solari.com, she calls the age that we're in the great poisoning uh, because a lot of the things that we're seeing are due, 95% of what we're seeing right now is due to environmental causes. Yeah. You know, autism is environmental, Alzheimer's is environmental, yes. Parkinson's is environmental. All these conditions are environmental. And not too long ago, we still had lead in our gasoline. So you have all that as well, that toxic load of airborne lead. Connections in the water pipes that are, we still have them all over. We've got a lot of cleanup to do. And we've got about 30 seconds. So Robbie Rose, I'm thank you so much for being our guest on the show today and having the courage to talk about these issues in in a bold yet very careful way. You can find her on Twitter at hello, Robbie Rose. That's at hello, Robbie Rose on Twitter. Um, Thank you again and, and take care and keep up the good work. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So we're going to take a break. Um, We come back. We have another individual with the courage to change course. You've been listening to an informed life radio at 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be back in a few minutes. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the flame paper. The flame paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative be it healthcare, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. 
Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me the love. We need a revolution. Hello and welcome back to the second hour of an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KK. And W and CHD TV. Uh, with me today is Dr. Javier Figueroa. Um, so glad he could join us today. I think he'll pop back in in a minute. Maybe he's getting a cup of cup of tea or something here. But while we're waiting for um, Javier to pop in, I want to let listeners know that there there's still two days to file your survey at KKNW. It's still ongoing. Um, this is a listener survey. Go to eleven fifty kknw.com and fill it out and just let them know if you appreciate programming like this let them know let them know the sort of programming you want to hear that you want to listen to you know thank them for you know still providing this amazing free speech platform in this great nation of ours and you know when you do that survey it's going to enter you into um, a drawing for a chance to win a round trip passage for two on the Victoria Clipper to Victoria BC uh, plus a $100 gift certificate to famous Dave's restaurants. So April 23rd is when they're going to be doing the drawing and today's the 21st. So uh, go check that out again. It's 1150kknw.com. So thank you so much for that. There he is. There's Javier. Glad to have you back. Um, So our theme today as we're continuing in the second hour, um, Javier, is the courage to change course. And before we bring on our, our guest, Javier, I want to talk to you a little bit because you are a man of uh, that I admire greatly for your your moral courage. Um, you, Thank you've you been that. on a <laughs> you're welcome. Um, you know, you've been on a, a journey yourself. I mean, you are somebody that is in your researcher, uh, scientist, um, a father, you know, husband, uh, experiencing all of this and you've you've had to face some life changes and i don't know what you feel comfortable changing as far as i think all of us over the past few years have have had to reevaluate and and take courageous steps that we normally would not have thought we would have to take would you agree yes no oh, 100% and again um again like you said the gift of covid has been that um it really has highlighted and contrasted the um the, the lines that people are willing to step over and some are not willing to cross. Yeah. And one of those lines was, you know, basically to submit to uh, a fairly autocratic, well, not fairly autocratic dictates from state and uh, federal governments yeah. to uh, put something in your body and also put something in your child's body that mm-hmm. you have very little knowledge of and ceding control uh, to an organization that has proven itself un- in- incapable 
and incapable and unwilling to actually be uh, regulated and controlled by the people that is supposedly there to serve. Exactly. And, you know, I, I, I don't know how this would have been discovered any other way by the masses. Unfortunately, people do learn by experience. Mm-hmm. And, but, and so this has been such a global experience, a global awakening to the fact that this complacency that we've been living in, the convenience um, that we've been living in, and the stories we're being told that we didn't think to question. Some of the doctors that I've talked to, some of the most amazing doctors, you know, they're shocked at themselves at how they didn't question the safety of vaccines. You know, it didn't even yeah. dawn on them. And I, I once even interviewed uh, a doctor who had turned whistleblower on one particular vaccine and then went and got another vaccine when it had just come out, he and his wife, and didn't even question it until his wife was severely injured by it. And then he went and looked at the insert and saw it was a novel adjuvant never used in humans before. And based on what he knew about the science of the ingredients, he never would have tried it had he read. So the the awakening, but the ability to change, to admit we were on a wrong course, to learn from it, and to start again. And that that brings us to Nikki Holland. Nikki Holland is um, right here in my uh, new home state of Tennessee. There's Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Hi. Welcome to an Informed Life Radio. I'm going to tell folks a little bit about you. So you are a doctor, Nikki Holland, and your degree is in physical therapy? Yes. And, and leading up to your experience um, that led to your injury from the COVID-19 shot, you were working full-time and teaching um, in this field of physical therapy. Is that correct? I was working and teaching until 2020. And then um, I switched over. I was doing home health PRN. But at that point, I switched over to full-time home health clinical physical mm-hmm. therapist. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, and so you and I recently just had a... a a wonderful discussion. And I, I so admired the courage that it's taken you on several aspects of your life, your life's journey. I thought maybe we would divide this discussion in three parts here. I thought the first part, you could let individuals who haven't seen you interviewed before, tell them about your experience. And then I want to talk about what you learned from that, because, you know, you weren't somebody like me who was already in this field of having figured out corruption in certain agencies or whatever. So crash course you went on and then your next phase of life of reinventing yourself and your, your chosen direction was robbed from, was just stolen from you. So, so let's start on phase one, which is you in 2020 doing what you believe to be the right Right. thing and stepping up and getting a COVID shot for work. It was required, correct? At our work, it was not yet required. Actually, when I, after I took it, um, months later, it did become required. And it was coming down the pipeline. I was thought, I'll just go ahead and get it out of the way. Um, but big mistake. Um, hindsight was twenty twenty. Um, I was afraid that, you know, I didn't want to lose my job. I didn't want to lose the income. I have three kids and had just gotten... Um, financially stable. I just bought a house the year before. And so I kind of, you know, you always feel the guilt too, you know, you don't want to be the one that spread COVID. And that's what kind of the mainstream media and everybody made you feel like if you 
if you didn't get these vaccines, um, you know, you were the culprit of what could be somebody's death. And we even had mm -hmm. patients, it was their choice whether or not they allowed us into their home setting. Um, but we did have some patients and facilities, unless you were vaccinated, even though I work at that specific time didn't require, would not let you in the home. Yeah. And if, and if, and the, because they're being led to believe with that, which we now, we know they knew was not true, but it was coming down. We, we have this whole system that needs to be fixed. There's no checks and balances along the way. Somebody on high says safe and effective prevents transmission. You got to get it to protect your patients. And patients are told you don't want to let anybody near you without it. And you want to trust, you want to believe the system, right? right. Um, I'm being told from uh, Nathan, the engineer, that the audio is is not quite working well with your wireless earbuds. I'm wondering if you... I can take them out and see if it works better without them. Yeah, let's give that a try to see if the quality okay. is a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so she, while she just... Okay, how about this? That, that's that's I'll, I'll watch my chat here for Nathan to give us a thumbs up or okay. thumbs down. So thank you for that. We'll give that a try. Um, so, you know, everybody. Well, I would say everybody who had not yet ever decided to question what's coming from the CDC. A lot of us, we kind of had the gift of prior experience, as it were, with various products that we had already gone down the rabbit hole and we were forewarned and we were doing our homework. We were looking into these products before they were even released. We were looking up lipid nanoparticles. We were looking up mRNA technology, um, you know, conferring with, with doctors and researchers and becoming increasingly alarmed. But as we were doing that and attempting to speak about it and write about it and put it out there on social media and wherever, the censorship began to just escalate, which we now know was <laughs> controlled by our own government. That's a whole other mm -hmm. program there of all of the information coming out of what happened, of how that was all done to us. But so we didn't get the word to you, Nikki, you know, we would have loved to have given you full warning because we believe in medical freedom and fully informed consent. And that's what you were wrapped up. So when did you, when was your first reaction to the shot? What, what happened right after you got it? I had my first vaccine in January, 2021, um, didn't have any issues. And then February 12th, um, 2021, I had my second vaccine, Moderna, and didn't have any issues for the first 24 to 36 hours. And then after that, I got nauseous, um, really sick. And then that kind of cleared. And then I noticed I was having respiratory stuff. I do have a history of asthma, um, but it was very controlled. I was running um, and, and active, not having any issues because it was controlled. So I thought, Maybe this is out of the blue asthma. I, you know, I really couldn't tell, but my medicine wasn't working. I continued to see patients, and then five days after my vaccine, it got so bad with the breathing. Um, at that point, I had to go to the hospital, and at that point, I had respiratory failure, um, which was the start of everything. That was the first system was the respiratory aspect. Um, later on, I developed blood clots, um, neurological issues, musculoskeletal issues, urinary GI issues along the way. 
Um, but that started five days after, by one week after I was on the ventilator for the first time um, when all this started. Within the first three months of this, it was a complete roller coaster. It still is. Mm -hmm. um, first three months, though, I was on the ventilator on and off five times for respiratory failure. The last time they could not pull the ventilator, I started having what's called laryngeospasms, where my throat would close off. Um, and they thought it was due to the multiple intubations. However, when they looked, there was no damage whatsoever. Um, and at that point, because they couldn't pull me off, they had to do the tracheostomy. Um, and I still have a tracheostomy. Right now I have a stent, um, okay. but I have the other version where people typically see what a trach looks like. And when I have these laryngeospasms, which still occur randomly, um, I have to put that one because if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to breathe. But wow. during those first few months, I was, you know, like I said, on the vent five times, I was life flighted to five different hospitals, two different states, um, and spent a month in rehab to get strong enough to go home, spent over 100 days, and then things kind of calmed down for a little bit, but it's just been a cycle since then, multiple hospitalizations and, and different stuff. Wow. Nikki, I'm so sorry that you went through that. And I so admire you for continuing to tell your story. People need to hear this. Um, it's not rare, um, but not everybody's able to do what you do and to come forward and to speak. Um, you know, going on the radio is nerve wracking in the best situations. And so thank you so much for being here. Yeah. All of this time that you were in the hospital and all this going on, you've got three little kids. I How, do. What happened there? Um, they, um, right now they're teenagers. Um, they were preteen teenagers before this started. When this started, I was 36 and now I'm 39 and they are 12, 13 and 16. Mm. Um, so it's been difficult on all of us. Um, their father has been able to step up and, and take um, care of them while I'm, you know, was in the hospital and um, has worked out that way. But it's definitely been trying on us all. Okay. Um, they have been pretty tough. Um, mm -hmm. We kind of use dark humor in our household because I found that's the way they cope. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. You know, I try to be real with them and they're real with me. And mm -hmm. so that's how we've managed to get through this. That's wonderful. Very good. Okay, so here you are um, finding a somewhat stable place, if we could even call it that. And um, but you're now you've got disability. You're on a lifetime disability. I, I mean, I, I pray that someday you get so well, you're going to lose that diagnosis. That is my gonna, hope. Yeah. That is my hope. You know, and we've got these brilliant people working to heal. Have you done hyperbaric oxygen? You want to talk to uh, Javier about that? He used to be on the HBOT board and he knows a lot yeah, about it. I have. Um, <laughs> last year, I had a friend, well, I met her through this journey. Um, she has an autistic son and had a hyperbaric oxygen chamber who was um, injured by mm -hmm. a childhood vaccine. And so she had suggested it and um, had a home one and brought it out to my house for a few months. Uh, and I did utilize that. Um, very gracious for that. I noticed some improvement. However, I had a really bad um, downfall with everything. Mm -hmm. I got to the point where I couldn't get in and out of it. 
Mm -hmm. um, so it became very difficult. Um, so, you know, I've tried multiple treatments, um, pharmaceutical, I've tried naturalistic, um, alternative treatment, you know, and, and some have no effect and then some seem to, to last a little bit and then it's kind of comes back in cyclic form. Yeah. It, it is a tricky thing. Um, you know, and the, the lipidona particles are carrying that mRNA creating spike protein throughout the body. Right. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it, it just is manifesting in so many different ways, right. um, you know, difficult to, to peg down. Are you able um, st in a stable state enough to like do the intermittent fasting, which a lot of the, the doctors are for? I know Dr. Henry Ely and Dr. Pierre Corey, yeah. that's like top on the <clears throat> list is the fasting if you're able. I'm working with Pierre Corey. He's the main one that I started out with. In October last year, I started working with Dr. Henry Ely, um, who does more naturopathic um, medicine, because mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't really delved into that world um, up until that point. Mm -hmm. And so I started to see benefits with other people. And we, since October, have been trying to get me stable enough consistently, because I, I had a lot of GI issues. I got to the point where I couldn't eat for weeks. Um, I have a G-tube. Um, wow. for eating because of tolerance and gastroparesis mm -hmm. that started with all this. Um, but we have just gotten through, he has like three phases. And the first phase is, is trying to get your internal environment stable enough, your cells stable enough to withstand that detox and intermittent yes. fasting approach. Because he says okay. if we try to jump into it too fast, that sometimes it can create more issues when it mm -hmm. starts to cleanse out. So Why? we are about on that edge of going towards the intermittent fasting and detox approach. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, we've interviewed him a couple of times on the show, and it's been amazing watching him work so earnestly to try to figure things out. And, and, and I remember talking to him when he was, they had just fairly figured out that if you detox, like you said, detox too soon before the organs are ready, before everything's ready to do it, it you can make things worse. And so trying to find out with each individual person, where do I begin the right. process and where are they and how do you bring them along? So I'm so glad to hear that you're moving toward um, the next phase. So so the the other part then is you be you told me that you began this journey though with a complete trust in the system oh yeah yeah and explain what how the evolution of the the distrust happened yeah i think any student in the healthcare field that doesn't have or any physician that doesn't have any personal reference to somebody that has been injured or you know has questioned you in your studies become it's almost indoctrinated to the fact that these organizations the fda the cdc they are there to protect you as an employer or employee as um, a healthcare provider they're there to protect you and your patients and you know and they have the best interest for you and there's research behind everything and and it becomes a point you you've got so much going on in the learning process that you kind of just take that for granted as that's mm -hmm. how it is. Mm -hmm. um, and so when these first came out, I questioned how quickly they came out because we learned the process of drug trials and how 
long they take. And this seemed completely not plausible how it occurred. Um, and I did question that. And, you know, I had a part of me that said no, but every part of me said, well, I've had every other vaccine up until now. I, I think I've been fine. I haven't noticed anything. So what's to say it's just not going to work if it just, you know, doesn't work. I didn't, I didn't expect the ramifications of adverse events like I have experienced. I thought maybe some initial if at all anything happens, some initial allergic reaction. That's what I was thinking would be the worst case scenario based on what, you know, they were telling us. Yeah. Based on what they were telling you. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, as you were struggling to find somebody to help you, was there initially an understanding or acceptance that what you were experiencing was vaccine injury or did you even have to prove that? Well, when I came into the hospital, I questioned what was really going on myself. It didn't feel like my typical asthma attack. Um, however, it was still respiratory issues. I was still having issues with breathing. So mm -hmm. I thought maybe, but then I thought, well, I just had that vaccine. So I mentioned that and they're like, okay. Um, and so they took into account the different things. However, initially they started treating it as asthma. Mm. And um, that led into respiratory failure. However, none of their treatments were working. Mm -hmm. um, I would just cycle back and spend a few days off the vent and then go back on. Um, and this was a small town hospital. So initially I got more feedback off the books, not on the notation mm. um, from the doctors and the nurses saying, yeah, we're seeing tons of this, seeing lots of patients come in that have underlying medical conditions and they're calling it those medical conditions, but it's not, it's not those medical conditions and mm -hmm. it's after the vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and I had one doctor say, well, you know, it's also new. We're all kind of guinea pigs, so it could be, but I have no way of proving it <laughs> is basically what he said. Wow. So, it was a toss up back and forth. The mainstream hospitals, especially the larger that I got, which I went to several larger hospitals, the more uh, ignoring that aspect of the story and the more, um, you know, pushing it off on other diagnosis. And then when did you yourself decide it was the vaccine that you, you know? After the second time on the vent, when I came off, my entire body, I've never felt this in my entire life. My entire body felt like it was failing. I thought, mm -hmm. I thought I was dying. I thought if I have to go back on that ventilator one more time, I'm not going to make it all. Mm -hmm. And I got into the point where I got as much breath of it as I could. And I recorded videos to my kids because I thought this was it. And that entire feeling over your, your body, I've had, you know, multiple things with asthmas in the asthma in the past in childhood and stuff I've never felt this way um and I knew you know I even recorded a video saying this shouldn't be happening if something happens to me I want my story to be told mm -hmm. and I figured somebody would find my phone because you know this is happening and in mm -hmm. my that's when it really clicked about a week after a week and a half after that this was this was truly the vaccine especially yeah. when multiple systems started going on not just respiratory yeah um javier what have you read about um 
the fact that these mRNA shots appear to be triggering and making worse or bringing forth a whole lot of underlying conditions, making things that were like her asthma was stable and then she got some sort of respiratory. People are finding cancer is returning and it just seems like, you know, whatever is going on, whatever they had stabilized has those barriers, those stabilization barriers of the immune system have been wiped out. Can you speak to that? Well, one, I have to agree with uh, Dr. Francis Boyle. Uh, he was the, uh, he worked on the United States biological um, uh, biowarfare agents and basically wrote the uh, law in the United States and uh, wrote the law uh, internationally to ban all bioweapon development uh, globally. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. states that these gene therapies, these shots are biological weapons under the very definition of U.S. and international law. Uh, and mm-hmm. the, the, these are not vaccines, unfortunately. These fit the definition of bioweapons. And it looks like there, there are several different varieties of uh, gene components that seem to modify and attack different areas. And when you said the doctor saying that, you know, we're all guinea pigs, we literally are all guinea pigs at this point because there seems to be several different variants and several different uh, uh, gene modules that are being deployed that have different effects on different parts of the, of the body. One is the immune system. One is the microbiome. One is the central nervous system. And, you know, the others are the organs. What you probably suffered from was probably multiple organ failure occurring at the same time due to blood clots. Uh, neurological injuries due to the spike protein, uh, alteration of your immune system because the, uh, the 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 gene therapy actually probably got into some aspects of your immune system and modified the response to it. T cell response, B cell response. There's a whole myriad of processes that we're still trying to unearth and uncover at this time. Now, the one thing that is amazing is that the body is incredibly resilient, that we have ways to overcome it that, you know, these gene therapies, as much as they spent time and energy putting into it, we're still here. We're still fighting. You are a walking, living, breathing example of a person that is able to survive and in many cases overcome what's happened. Mm -hmm. And again, this is something that we can overcome and uh, become better from. I mean, it's, it's, the simple thing is, at this point, the fact that now we are no longer trusting any of our institutions should tell us exactly who to go after and say, you did this to us, you mm-hmm. lied to us, you experimented on us, you are no longer part of our human community, you're war criminals. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we have to start treating them. Doctors, mm-hmm. nurses, and institutions, as well as lawyers and corporations, that do not acknowledge this fact and do not fit and basically are not fit to, to be part of our human community need to be shunned. Unfortunately, that's the only thing that works at this stage. Legal matters are so tied up because the legal system is so corrupt that you, that fighting it is such a drain of resources and time. You just need to shun these people. You, well, I think I would word it a little bit different, but I get, I get where you're saying, I mean, me being sort of the Pollyanna, I just believe we need to remove our resources and our money from individuals who are refusing to admit the truth and do not exactly. give them our business anymore. Quit feeding the monster. 
quickly. And, you know, it is scary to change course, to stand up against the tide, the marketing tide, those who, who are profiting in the billions, um, you know, while so many people are suffering, lost their jobs, everything to COVID, the, the middleman, the little guy, we've all suffered where I, I forget how many new billionaires have have uh, been created in all this as so many other people um, been harmed. But every day and every decision that we make, we either feed that monster that want, that is really harming us or we make another decision. And change is hard. By God, I mean, there's a lot of things in my life, Javier and and Nikki, that I have not yet changed. I need to change places yeah. that I shop, you know, um, different ways that I do. I I know it, and I need to start walking more in my, you know, walk the walk. My boots on the ground. There's a lot of good stuff I do, but there's more that I need to do to to create the world we want to create. And Nikki, that's that's where you have had this amazing courage to face this physical assault and then the psychological, emotional assault of realizing what you thought to be truth was not truth. And then to admit that a lot of people can't do that. Like say, I, you know, I was wrong. I was lied to, but I've learned. And now, so bravo to you um, so much. Yeah, I could say young woman, I'm old enough to be your mama. So you might be almost 40, but you know, I'm almost 60. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, so good. So now, now let's talk about your future. So your where you were going to be going was robbed from you because, you know, day to day, you have to attend to your physical needs. Um, what was that like? I know there's a lot of people out there. Well, in a couple situations, some are physically injured like you, and they're having to figure out what the rest of their life is going to look like, right. how they can have quality. Others have not been harmed, but they're in the ethical dilemma of being in a job or, or a lifestyle or a relationship that they know is wrong now. But that change is hard. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your journey to trying to figure out what's next. Yeah, um, definitely. There are, are those two groups of people. Um, and, you know, I wish I could go back and change time. And I wish that I, I didn't. Um, how unfortunately, though, I'm in that group of people that now my life's been changed uh, forever. I still do ho hold hope um, that, you know, through especially my great physician, that I will have a miraculous healing and I will, I will find the correct person, um, to guide me in that. And so, you know, but until then it's been a process of acceptance. Um, mm. we've had, I've seen tons, I've connected with thousands of people that are vaccine injured, you know, and some, you know, pursue through it, some stay quiet and then some go into to deep depression you know we've had members of, of different groups even feel so hopeless and and silenced and shamed that they have gotten to the point of taking their own lives um and it is it's not just the physical battle that you're going through from the medical conditions but it's it's a mental battle mm -hmm. and um you know, I was blessed that I have survived and I'm blessed that I get to wake up every day and experience life with my kids. However, even though there was not a death, you still have to go through the grieving process mm -hmm. of grieving a life that, you know, was lost. Mm 
that is the old you that is not you know things where i think you know i'm going to do this this and this today and i get through half of one of those things and i just can't do anymore um it's it's a life that for a while i was you know i was resentful a little bit um before i really like i started searching out people or trying to when all this happened and of course with all google and censors you know as far as being censored i wasn't finding help i wasn't finding resources so for the first like six to nine months it was i felt alone um mm -hmm. and so that was the a hard transition for me um however i i have found that yes my life was focused around i was always goal oriented this is where i was this is what i was going to be and this is how i'm going to make it happen and i made it happen mm -hmm. um and now you know that purpose that i had is no longer a part of me it's like I, I needed to find a new identity a new purpose where i felt like my life meant something mm -hmm. um and that was through speaking up and sharing my story i, I mm -hmm. decided to make a video my first one and i shared it on facebook and youtube um in august of 2021 and had thousands and thousands of views and tons and tons of people reaching out to me and at that point i realized hey you know i could be helping somebody else this could be a new variant of what my purpose is what is changing my direction um finding some good out of this this chaos and misery mm -hmm. um and sure enough over 2022 i started traveling across the country and speaking at some events and doing podcasts and stuff um, and not only do I find a platform where I can share a story, which has been very difficult because of being censored, but I find people that are listening to that and they're there, you know, they're supportive. Mm -hmm. You find that family. You not only find that, but you find and you meet people that are going through similar situations. And that in itself is healing mm -hmm. um, to say, hey, I know what you're going through. I mean, wow. And yeah. so, you know, it's a, it's a benefit, you know, that I can offer others by telling my story and, and offering help, but it's also a benefit for me. Wow. That's, that's so amazing. I just, yeah. And just kind of a little bit speechless about what you've been through and that, you know, I've been so lucky in life, you know, I, it's like, I'm in this bubble, right. And I, I've been able to do so many things very easily even even covid it just amped up what i was already doing speaking out against pharma and pushing for regulation reform and this sort of stuff i've i've been completely in a bubble and i haven't had to face the adversity that you have or the experiences that you have and i so admire what you're doing and i'm just i'm so glad that i'm able to be here and provide an outlet for you to share your story because there's got to be somebody out there who might be tuning in for the first time. They might be driving down Interstate 5 in Seattle, flipping through the AM dial right now and landing on KKNW and thinking, I've never heard this station. What is this before? Somebody's talking about vaccine injury. I, I know that or my friend's going through that and they they don't they don't feel so alone and they know. Um, um, so. So this is a very noble goal that you're that you're going to be doing, sharing your journey. Do you see? Do you? See, you're a goal setter. So where do you see yourself 
a few years from now? Are you learning to to set goals in shorter time frames because you're not sure physically how healed you will be? We're going to be optimistic. We're going to know how healed you'll be in five years. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm definitely a long-term goal setter. So it's been a transition to me. Um, so I've had to make myself smaller goals because without that, I've found that, you know, you, you sink into your mind and, and depression and stuff. But with, with shorter things, you know, and, and smaller goals, that's been a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. um, realistically, um, I see myself, you know, I have two ways that I see myself. One being the most hopeful that I am recovered and I do find answers to find enough recovery to be able to return to the career and passion that I enjoy, whether mm -hmm. that be in the form of clinical physical therapy or, or teaching um, at university level again. Uh, those are my two passions and my first love. Mm -hmm. However, I realistically have a second goal. If that does not happen, um, my goal is to be more outspoken, to be, um, you know, even though I have the professor background, I'm quite the introvert. So this has been a transition um, to speaking live and, and not getting nerves and stuff. But uh, mm -hmm. it's been growth. But being able to share my story and maybe help somebody, you know, that that needs help, needs inspiration. Um, and, you know, I tell people like, well, I don't understand how you, you can do all this. I, I don't understand how you can stay positive. And my response is, well, some days I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it just depends on the day. You know, it, every day is not is not, you know, sunshine. Mm -hmm. um, do I try to find the sunshine in, in the most difficult times? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and we we try to find humor with my kids and stuff. Um but some days you, you just want to go to the bathroom and cry yeah. um, because that's where you're at. So the goal is just being able to to help people in the same situation mm -hmm. and also maybe inspire other people that are in the position of healthcare workers. When you question something, stick to your ground, stick to your questioning, research it more, be more informed. Um, and listen to really what's going on and applaud yourself for, for being able to stand up and stay strong with that. Yeah, I love that. Where, where do you see, how can we improve moving forward the framework of medicine? So I think about like your experience, your education, and then your professional experience of doing physical therapy as well as teaching. And it's like you said, it's like you were sort of indoctrinated and you trust the CDC. They've got the science and data. So you didn't have to worry about it. You didn't have to question them. We do now know, though, right, that um, if if you don't question authority, they take advantage of that. Right. And we've got the corporate capture now of those entities. So I keep using the term checks and balances because this great nation works and it works best because it's a system of checks and balances. It keeps, but we don't have that in in, in medicine in this nation. Yeah. You you have to do what they say, how they say it. And if you stand up and challenge, then your job is on the line and all that. So do you have thoughts about how we can reform that so we get more critical thinking? I think, in, you know, in analyzing things I've seen and gone through, you know, I had a friend that was in medical school during this whole process. Um, I remember them going to classes because they were they were online through medical school. 
um, and how much they focused on the vaccine and the benefits, you know, and the education of that. And then they received a a letter or an email that was went out to all the students saying, if you speak out against the vaccine or give misinformation, the American Medical Association can, um, you know, they could be responsible for not allowing you to get your license at the end of your schooling. Excuse me. Can you repeat that one more time? Do what? Can you repeat that one more time? Yes. um, I had a friend that received an email from her school that was supposedly forwarded on from American Medical Association that basically said that if you were to spread misinformation about the shot, um, that you could risk the chances of if you are licensed, getting your license revoked, but then also if you were a student not being able to obtain your license as a doctor. Wow. That's so that in itself is scary. That right, the 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 threats, the fear that were used, and of course the term misinformation is not defined. No, no, not at all. Right. And we there there were a couple of things that we saw leading up to COVID, year, you know, in the years leading up to it that were beginning to bubble to the surface that were very alarming. And one was there was this massive buildup about the term misinformation. In fact, the University of Washington had a whole course in misinformation and they had this one event that was open to the public that I attended and it was a couple of hours. And they were telling you how to how to uh, evaluate a source to tell whether or not it was trustworthy about you know in, information. And there was some stuff that made a lot of sense and other things they were telling you things to trust that I'm like, I don't trust that system, you know? And, um, and I remember asking a question, one of their examples of somebody spreading misinformation was Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who I had interviewed, you know, for this is even prior to having a radio show, but for three hours when he came out and, um, you know, he was just the example of what you do when you want to make it when you want to make an example of somebody speaking against right. power, you take them down ad hominem attacks. And so, you know, I raised my hand and I said, well, I was trying to engage them to say that your information about Dr. Wayfield is misinformation. Have you actually mm. read his study? Have you done this? And I tried to bring up the facts because that's what this class was about. All right. This class was about trying to determine and they would not hear it. They were closed minded and and it was just so alarming, but this was happening all over the United States, the universities and other places. There were, you know, they were having seminars on misinformation. The whole idea was put into social culture that if you hear, hear somebody talking about misinformation, you immediately like believed that somebody was being an idiot, that they were anti-science. Right. You roll your eyes and you disregard anything that they have to say, yeah. right? That was laid in place, you know, before. The other thing, and we won't go into it here, though, was um, trying to connect uh, racism and um, the act of vaccination, which was just fabulous. They were saying that getting vaccinated was an anti-racist act. It, and it's so bizarre they attempted that. It really backfired. It completely failed because you know um, the the culture, the 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 groups within the United States that had been abused the most by the pharmaceutical industry, you know, um, the blacks of this nation, and really, indeed, across the globe, 
they were most hesitant, <clears throat> as it were. But you know what I, I the definition of hesitancy is in Bernadette's book? It's medical due diligence. That's right. Right? You know, I mean, call me hesitant. Holy cow, if you're not hesitant about a novel yes. uh, gene therapy platform never used in humans before in this manner before, then uh yeah that's and i apologize mickey because you 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 did get it so i didn't mean to be insulted no 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 offense no offense <laughs> yeah you were trained though not to question and that's what we need to what is breaking open is there is, there is personal responsibility in it and there is brainwashing responsibility in it there there's multiple aspects and yeah unfortunately life experience is a brutal teacher um, yes. I have learned. And so, but, you know, don't, you're not going to fool me again. <laughs> no. And, you know, I had my wake up call years ago and, you know, some parents, when they begin to vaccinate their children, with the pediatric vaccines, they don't know subtle things are vaccine related and they just, their right. child becomes sicker and sicker, but there's no wake up call. My wake up call was my infant son going into anaphylactic shock. So for whatever reason, I was given a huge wake up call to, to stop the process. Um, so again, I feel like I, for whatever reason, I'm in a bubble, maybe it's so that I can be here and you know, yap at everybody and, and try to bring information to light. But I do feel um, at, at times I almost feel a little guilty that I live in this mm -hmm. this bubble space of, of being able to to stand in my current truth. You know, I try to be open minded and try to learn mm -hmm. from from people and try not to think I know everything because I don't. In fact, the more I learn, the more I don't know. Unfortunately, um, being where I am, I have. I have gotten battered from both sides, both extremists. And, and that's the hard thing for people that are vaccine injured. We get hammered from those that call us anti-vaxxers um, and misinformers. And then we get hammered from the ones that are against vaccines and saying, well, we should have known better. We should have done our mm. research, tried mm. to warn you. Um, you get what you deserve. I've heard it all. Oh. Um, and and it's horrible because it it, horrible. you get stuck within the midst of a political bottle or people with extremist opinions stop caring for you know those hey yes we did the shot and yes we weren't at that time you know against vaccines so yes we came from you all but at the end we're stuck in the middle and all we're crying for is, is help and awareness yes. Um, yes to share our story and to find that treatment uh, Javier and I are in so agreement. We're so sorry that you've been experiencing this ugliness on both sides. And, you know, both of us have, you know, we probably say in every show that we have to move forward with grace in our hearts and, and open arms. Um, one of our wonderful people um, out in Washington state, when she speaks to, you know, sort the the other side, like the Washington state board of health and such mm -hmm. one time she famously said to them, you know, we'll, if you decide to defect to our side, we'll welcome you with open arms, right? So we we got to leave that room. I mean, I do believe the Anthony Fauci's of this world need to get punished and those who really knew they were doing harm. But for everybody else who are sort of victims themselves, I feel like we need that healing process 
to uh, really to move forward. There's a lot of people stuck in this, this, this limbo place where they knew what they're doing wrong and they haven't been able to find the courage to step away. That that's a tricky space to be if you know you're continuing to harm and I, you know, but nobody deserves any um, ugliness. And but for the grace of God, I could have been you, Nikki, you know, I had my wake up calls decades before and and you did not. Um, so I'm really sorry that you experienced um, that. We've got to go through. We've got to go forward. The only way forward for every issue that is being that is dividing us is to find our common ground right. and then heal from there, you know, mm-hmm. build together, build a system. That's why that's why freedom is so important, because we have to be free to make our own decisions and we're and we've got to be free to have a huge difference right. of opinion, but we have to have enough information so that our decisions are actually based on fact. And we're not being lied to. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to informed consent. Right, and that's what you were talking about. Changing medicine, obviously, I was pointing to the fact of the uh, the doctors and the education they receive, but also the consumer. Um, people think of, well, I go to the doctor, you know, cause that's the doctor that the insurance told me to, or that's the doctor that's locally, or, you know, the one I can get into, but it's almost like buying a car. You have to fully inform yourself of as a consumer, who are you getting? What is their background? And are they going to be able to help me? And then the biggest thing is advocacy. If I have not known half the medical stuff that I did, you know, and even being on the ventilator, I refused a lot of sedation medicine, even though it was uncomfortable, because I wanted to be fully aware of what was going on and um, and a part of my medical decision making. Wow. Um, and if I had not had the advocacy with myself and someone I trusted, um, no telling where I'd be or if I'd be here. And so I think, you know, really being a consumer and, and figuring out who you go to you know, and also the advocacy and knowing more of the medical stuff, you know, you think, well, that's the doctor, that's their world. No, you need to be educated on what to ask and, you know, and and stuff like that. Yeah, we hire doctors. One thing that I I try to counsel people when parents say that, like, they were fired by their pediatrician. Well, wait a minute, you hire them, they work for you. So, you know, first of all, why do you want to be at a pediatrician's office if they so disrespect your medical choice that they would fire you or throw you out of the office? And second of all, you know, like, you know, fire them, go find somebody better. I know it, it is a difficult journey, but it's probably, people probably spend a lot more time researching a car purchase or the blender they're going to get. And, and it is hard to look up doctors, isn't it? Because it's, it's very difficult to find reliable information. You don't know unless you find people who are actually going to that doctor and what their opinion of them is. It can be um, hard. Any advice, um, Javier, on on making those medical decisions and finding, you know, good doctors? We find them, I find personally through personal contact and network, but that's challenging, especially when you move somebody somewhere new. Yeah. Well, my first advice is one, don't get sick. Yeah. Uh, best thing <laughs> so, to do. Uh, second is, you know, you, you do do talk with your neighbors, do talk with your friends, and ask them. Hey, you know this. Um, 
who's your doctor and what's your what's been your experience uh, with them? And normally, um, you know, your your mileage will vary depending on where you live and who you talk to. Um, and the more you actually have experience, like you said, is unfortunately that the best teacher, but it's also the hardest teacher. And that's okay. usually the only way you're going to get reliable information. There are some doctors that are very good that will tell you, I'm very good in this area, but I'm lacking in this area. So anything that I tell you regarding this, we'll have to look for another person or another specialist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's usually when we were back uh, living in Washington, we, we'd go to three different doctors just to get an idea of what's going on because we knew the strengths and weaknesses of certain doctors mm -hmm. that we had. Mm -hmm. But it was a lot of damn hard work just trying to figure that out. Right. And, and, it was and expensive. Expensive and not everybody has the luxury of, right, of being able to afford that to go on that hunt. And then a lot of the practitioners who did so great in helping people nurse through COVID, you know, they didn't necessarily take insurance or or the treatments that they were doing for COVID were not covered by insurance. So exactly. that's, a, that's another area that so many people are stepping up different different ways of getting insurance, um, you know, the different ex health exchanges, different wellness models are moving up. And really moving to that wellness model, I think is important. There, here in Tennessee, there's a doctor up in Johnson City who gave a presentation and he, he was very funny. He said, you know, my job is to make sure I never see you because if you're healthy, you know, cause it's one of those things where you pay cer certain amount a month. You know, you, it's like concierge service. And so if you pay a certain amount of month, but he doesn't want to see you two minutes to go. Okay. He doesn't want to see you because that means he's keeping you healthy by his advice. And he makes more money if he doesn't have to see you. Right. And so he gets rewarded by keeping you well. So functional medicine doctors, wellness doctors, the natural healers and all that um, need to bring on. So we're, we're down to like last minute and a minute and a half, Nikki. Where do you recommend individuals go who want to support people with vaccine injuries um, like you? Um, there are tons of organizations, um, different fits for different people that want to support in different aspects. And definitely okay. children's health defense is a, is a great one. Um, we have talked with several organizations, um, Freedom Nurse or Nurse Freedom Network. Um, oh, we um, love them. Part of the one founded by vaccine injuries for vaccine injury for React 19. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great one as well, because I know they've helped me out personally when the government has fallen through. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and, and several, because we don't have compensation programs that are adequate and we're having these expensive treatments that are not covered, a lot of individual people that you meet here and there have personal funding and, and things like that. But whether you support on a larger scale or a smaller scale, you know, you're going to affect and you help somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for those words. It's so important. Nikki Holland, thank you for your courage. Uh, you've got our prayers and our blessings, and I hope we'll talk to you again soon. I get to see you in person because you're here in Tennessee. Um, and Javier, always a pleasure to have you uh, co-hosting with me. Everybody, you've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM, KKNW, and CHDTV. We'll see you next week. Take care. Hi, I'm Brian Dacus, President and Founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PGI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, 
parental rights and the sanctity of human life. PJI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.